Yeah, I'm like Neo now. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. That's Morpheus. Jurassic Views, Zai Quinn, or Bryce Diamond, at it again with a special guest this morning to the pod, uh, an old friend of mine, someone probably, listeners that you know, you'll recognize her voice, you've seen her on TSN, Lindsay Hamilton joining Good us morning. today. How are you, Lindsay? Uh, how is Toronto treating you today? You know what? It's a beautiful, sunny morning, so the week is starting off on a good note. I'm talking to you fine gentlemen. We're going to talk some basketball, some sports, things I love, so the week's off to a good start. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, for Zai and I, we've had this experience for the last uh, seven years, I believe, for Zaya, 10-plus years for me, where we're in Ottawa, we're not connected to the city of Toronto as, as closely. But this year, you've had a really odd experience. Obviously, it's a pandemic. Uh, but Toronto sports teams, including our beloved Raptors, are not in Toronto. Luckily, the Maple Leafs are. But what has it been like for, for you living in Toronto, being a, a, a broadcaster, and not having the Raptors in the same city that you're in, in the same city that they're from? It's definitely been strange. And I live quite close to where the Leafs and Raptors play. So usually from even my condo, I can kind of experience the energy and the atmosphere of what's going on after a game. And I remember even during the Raptors championship run and when they ultimately won Larry OB, the city was electric and I was out walking the streets of Toronto. You could hardly move. It was just a <laughs> sea of people all losing their minds, waving the Raptors flags and you could just soak up the energy. And anyone knows on a day when your team is playing in your city and whether you live downtown, you're taking the GO train in or your surrounding GTA, you can just feed off of people and mm -hmm. you go into the convenience store and you ask, did you see the game? What'd you think of that play? It's a conversation you're having in the grocery store. It's a conversation you're having at work. And because of the different climate we live in right now, I think a lot of those conversations aren't happening. Obviously mm -hmm. we're doing things in a new way. We're doing things virtually, but it is an unfortunate reality of the pandemic and that we're finding new homes. And as you say, for the Raptors, that means they're in Tampa right now. I think for a lot of athletes, they thrive on their habits. They mm. like their familiarity. Mm. And I think it's hard for any athlete to take them out of that routine that they have perfected for years as a professional and put them in a new location. And we're talking a new country Yes, you're with your teammates, and I think everything we saw the Raptors organization do to try and mm. make Tampa home was great from the We the North signage. You saw the wraps all around the hotel with the elevator doors, right? And, you know, you saw the court the Raptors used for games that came from Toronto. So 
the team did a bunch of little things to try and make it feel more like home. But you ask any athlete what it's like performing in front of thousands mm. of screaming fans on your home court. And I think there is a reason you talk about the home court advantage. I think athletes do play off a crowd. They can feel that energy. Um, and whatever sport you're talking about, whether it's late in the fourth quarter with a buzzer mm. beater or late in the third period for a hockey game, um, I think that is an energy that athletes miss during the pandemic. For sure. Mm. Yes. You know, I, I'm like, uh, so we're seeing it from, from a fan standpoint, you are more of an industry insider, at least with the media. Um, how is it covering a team from a distance? Right. Um, so from my understanding, all TSN staff are doing remote broadcasting, uh, obviously along with yourself. So how, what are the challenges in actually uh, scoping, analyzing um, uh, sports? Uh, in this case, obviously the, the team that, uh, that, the only team that's in Toronto are the Maple Leafs, but uh, the Toronto Raptors being in Tampa, how are the challenges and how do you then create sound content from a distance? That's a great question. And I think it's definitely a challenge that people have had to figure out on the fly as with so many other things during the pandemic. Um, obviously when I'm covering the Raptors, it's from my position as an anchor on sports center. So I often do heavily rely on our reporters and the people from TSN who are at the games and any reporter can tell you it is a challenge to be covering a team when you're not physically with the team, because again, while my role as an anchor is different than that of a reporter, Something mm -hmm. the reporters do so well is they are the eyes and ears for everyone else. They're picking up those little details that we as fans don't see, um, an exchange that a camera didn't pick up, an energy amongst the team, how someone felt that day after a game or a practice. They are that living, breathing person next to the team, just getting that energy off of the team. And again, finding out any injury updates or what's happening in someone's personal life and how that may affect what they're doing on the court. And obviously without the ability to travel to the United States, we're missing out on that. With that being said, I think our team has done a tremendous job of keeping a pulse on this team. And you have to give credit as well to the Toronto Raptors organization and a number of franchises throughout all professional sport for making their athletes available, um, you know, really stepping it up when it comes to the Zoom calls and post-game availability and, and just still having those conversations and making sure there is communication amongst media and players as ultimately we try to get the best product to fans and let them know what's happening. Mm -hmm. But I understand the question because there's definitely been mm. a unique challenge that this year is presented and that you're not getting as much insight. And, you know, it's not basketball related, but... I've gone to Ottawa a few times now to cover Ottawa Senators games. And that's been unique as well because it'll be essentially a crew of maybe five people and there's not a single fan in the Canadian tire center and right. the hockey ice. But other than that, even when you're doing your interviews, you're not beside a player. They can't see you. You're doing it through zoom. It's a different atmosphere for everyone. And I think for a lot of it, it's just learning on the fly and figuring out the new norm. Definitely. Are you sure there was no one, uh, no one at the Canadian Tire Center? I think that's 
a usual thing here in Ottawa. And that's not even a low blow, Lindsay. That is a reality. We're talking playoff hockey, and there's like sub 10,000. So you know what? I have, this is my first year actually seeing hockey at the Canadian Tire Center, and you're not the first individual to mention, and I'm aware <laughs> too, of just the difficulties of getting fans in that location location plays a huge role but um again i know we're talking basketball today but from a hockey perspective i think that's something the ottawa senators this year what they've done with that team is pretty incredible i mean the way Mm -hmm. they started out the year and what they've been doing in the second half of the season almost polar opposites and i know we talk young developing teams and having good mentors and just shaping um a group of players and i think it's it's really special what they've done and how they've been the spoiler for so many other teams trying to make this playoff push. Mm. You know, they're mm. a difficult team to play. And if there's one thing, they do not give up without a fight. They're a gritty bunch. One of these days, the senators will come downtown and then they'll get sellouts a lot more often. I'm sure. Sneak it into existence. Oh my gosh. Uh, Lindsay, there, you know, we're in a historical moment with the pandemic. Uh, there was also a historical moment with TSN last month where you got to see a lot of your colleagues, your peers, uh, lead a broadcast for the Toronto Raptors and all women's broadcast. What was that like to see it? It was incredible. Um, I hope we get to the point one day where we see females in positions and it's not a conversation anymore. It's just normalized. But until then, I think the fact that we are breaking those boundaries and to work for TSN, who was the first to do it, was definitely a moment of pride for me. Just see my colleagues knock it out of the park and be able to support them and know that they're phenomenal in their roles. So it wasn't surprising whatsoever that obviously it was a great broadcast. But more so, I think about the thousands of young girls who turned on their TV that night and young boys, too, and saw an all-female NBA broadcast for the first time put on a great game. Mm-hmm. and demonstrate their knowledge, their love, passion for the sport. And perhaps kids across the country thought to themselves, huh, maybe that's something I could do one day. And it just plants that seed. And I think for me growing up, there were so many women who before me that did that. Mm-hmm. And when you see people in those roles, whether or not you go into sport, no matter what you do, you can become a teacher, you can become a mother, you can become an astronaut, whatever your passion is. It is helpful to see women come before you and pave that way. And there's a great quote, you can't be it if you don't see it. Mm. You always need to be a first, so someone needs to be it. But if other girls can see it in those roles and the representation, I do think that ultimately just inspires to get into sport and that's something I'm extremely passionate about and we talk about all female broadcasts on International Women's Day I had the opportunity to work on an all-female NHL broadcast and I got to work with Cheryl Pounder and Renata Fast Mm. and Angela Price and even the person cutting the game was a female Megan and I think just seeing talented women who know the sport inside out who Mm -hmm. are qualified ready to be there the passion for the sport is 
just electric. You can feel it. Um, mm. It just makes sense. So I think the more we see women in those roles, it will become more normalized. Um, you know, this past month during March uh, Madness, the NCAA uh, tournament, uh, Lindsay, and mm-hmm. I was so impressed by how the the level of basketball knowledge that Kia Nurse displayed. I know mm. her background. She's great, in, eh? Yeah, she played at UConn, and now at, she's at the uh, WNBA. She went from the Liberties. Now she's at uh, the Phoenix Mercury. But the way in which she analyzed and broke down the game for a general public was mm-hmm. quite impressive. And she obviously had, uh, they also obviously had J- Jack Armstrong join. Uh, but I was so impressed because it was my first time actually seeing her. And so I was like, th- th- this woman has a career in sports journalism. Um, and hopefully she she comes back to Canada, to be quite honest. What were your thoughts on her? And, and may- I don't know if you worked closely with her, but uh, seeing her in the studio. To remind everyone listening, she's 25 years old. She's just getting yeah. started. There's a yeah. long road ahead. She's able to provide in-depth analysis to the game without talking over people's heads. And I think that's ultimately what fans watch when Mm -hmm. they're tuning into a broadcast. They want the in-depth analysis. People Mm -hmm. know the game. Um, And she has the expertise and the experience and the knowledge to talk about it. So she's able to break down the plays and just give a unique perspective. And she has a wonderful humor in the way she does it. Yeah. And not everyone can step into that role and get it right away. It's, it's mm-hmm. a talent she brings to the table. And again, obviously she has a long, I think, career in front of her playing and broadcasting, but um, it's definitely been a treat to have her as part of our team because I think she's been uh, a wonderful asset to the broadcast. Definitely. Um, you know, yeah. speaking of, of Kia nurse and, being a, a 25 year old just as a broadcaster would be impressive. Uh, but here is, you know, probably Canada's best uh, women's basketball player um, doing a broadcast at 25 years old. Again, very impressive to be able to have that crossover in two very different areas. Uh, but for, for me personally, I'm looking at other players, uh, you know, in in the league, in the NBA specifically. I don't see Jamal Murray in the offseason doing WNBA games. Mm-hmm. I don't see I don't see Chris Boucher doing games for RDS. Uh, you know, I don't see LeBron James, uh, you know, uh, broadcasting on ESPN. Uh, there's a massive pay gap that also is in place that has Kia Nurse kind of working a second job in the off season. Um, what are some thoughts that you have around how great the disparity is between the WNBA and NBA in terms of pay? You know, that's a hard one. And I would love your thoughts as well from both of you, just because I, I, I genuinely think it is a great conversation to have. I think when the conversation is being had, more awareness is being raised. And I think that's part of the equation because I think you will often have to start at a point of education. And I'm not sure if the average fan even knows the disparity. I think they would be aware that there is 
a difference in income and earnings, but I don't know if they would just be, would have the insight into how much of a gap there truly is. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a layered complex issue that I think is so tied into a number of different factors, whether that comes from the leagues themselves, whether that comes from broadcast partners, whether that comes from branding strategies, whether it comes to attracting more people to the women's game at a young age. I remember the first time I saw two women on the desk at SportsCenter. Right. It was Kate and Natasha. And until then, it hadn't been done. And I think for so many years before that, if you were to see two women, it might feel a little strange because you'd never seen it before. Yeah. And now, not even a decade later, I can't. my partner, I've been on the 1AM loop for three years, has been female. And no one thinks twice because we're used to seeing it. And I think that is a large part of representation in sports. The first mm -hmm. time you hear a female play-by-play -play voice or the first time you see a woman in an analyst role or as a referee, it might seem a little strange because it is. You've never seen it before. It's something new. And again, I talk about people being creatures of habit. They like familiarity. They like what they know. They like what they've seen before. But if you give people who are qualified and again, who have the passion for the sport and who can do the job well and you put them in these positions, and now you see your broadcast, okay, wait a sec, we can do this with a diverse set of people who bring different ideas and different voices to the table. And this works. Your audience then says, okay, this was different the first time I saw it, but now I understand it. Now I get it. Now I'm into this sport. And I think it ultimately will grow your game. And I also remind people, this needs to start when kids are young. Like when you're watching sports with your kids at home, little girls or little boys, Put on girl sports too. Put on women's sports as well. Talk about athletes that your young boy or girl would look up to. And I think we're so honored in Canada to have a wide range of athletes to talk about. And I think when you make that more of the conversation and you're keeping an eye on females in sports and you're checking the latest standings, what Bianca Andreescu did on the tennis court, what Brooke Henderson did on a golf course, what Kia Nurse is doing on a basketball court, whatever you might be interested in, find those role models and start at a young age because that's ultimately what is growing the, the game for decades to come. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I have a seven-year-old daughter. Uh, those who listen to the podcast hear me talk about her often. She's a diehard Raptors fan already. Did she have a choice in that? Uh, <laughs> you'll have to ask her. Uh, Debatable. But, <laughs> but she she watched uh, Bianca beat Serena live in the you know when it was the U.S. Open, uh, the big historical win. Uh, she was at the uh, Women's FIFA World Cup back in 2015. Now she doesn't remember those games. She was only one, but she was there. And because of her passion and love. Uh, She's challenging me, along with Zaya, to, to buy some WNBA jerseys this season, specifically for Canadian players. And so as a father, looking you know, through sport, through, through her eyes, I'm like, damn, I'm, I, I got be, to be better. I got to step up. Uh, you know, there's a guy in the NBA we all know, uh, have some respect for Steph Curry has been a, a great leader from a, at least a male perspective. Yes. Um, but when you think of what 
you know, a Kia nurse does on the court uh, and what she's able to do in her sport. Um, similarly, uh, maybe not exactly, but similarly to what Serena Williams does on a tennis court, um, you wonder why uh, Kia nurse's salary is only about $50,000 a year versus a Jamal Murray, who would be about equal in terms of what they're able to do in their leagues, uh, who's making $25, $30 million a year. Um, and that for me, as I talked to my daughter about that, uh, I, I don't know how to fully explain it to her without being very clear that this is, this is an injustice within the sports world. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm scratching my head at the same time. I'm trying to, to, to tell, you know, explain to my daughter that the world is yours, just like it is a man's, but it, you know, it's, it's tough. It's a struggle for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think I go back to, I think it always starts with us, right? And you're buying the jerseys and you're taking her to different games because, I think there's obviously larger problems that we all need to play a role in getting involved in and, you know, pushing for quality in sports, pushing for representation. But I also think it does start in our homes. It starts at the grassroots level. And I think on a grander scale, any true change, it often does start in the home. It starts within. It starts on that personal growth, right? And I think when it comes to true equality, whether that be in the world or within sport, um, you have to build it up first. You have to be supporting your fellow female athletes. You have to mm. be supporting women in different roles. You have to support your daughters and whatever they want to pursue. It could be sport. It could be something else. Um, but I think it does start in those initial conversations and, and giving them that empowerment. And, you know, this is just something that I'm so passionate about because I grew up in a family who always played sports. And, right. you know, I'm one of four girls and then I have an older brother we all had our sport of choice um we all played varsity sports my sister took it to a whole nother level but I know what sports can provide for people and I know the characteristics and the values it can build in someone and as cheesy as it maybe sounds I really think it can provide a lot of wonderful learning lessons and life lessons whether that be persistence, determination, learning how to lose with grace, setting goals, <laughs> getting knocked down and falling back and getting back up again. You know, there's so many things that sport teaches. And when we talk about getting young girls in sports, you just, you look at the success stories of women in leadership positions. Like the statistics are mind blowing. When you look at mm. women in C-suite positions who played competitive sport, there's a reason they're um, you look at just the decrease in eating disorders and body image when women play sport. Again, like it makes sense because women are learning, okay, my body is something that can be used for energy and to sustain itself and kick a ball harder instead of just to look a certain way. And when you can get girls involved in these sports and to have fun and to play and to do it for, you know, reasons other than just to look a certain way or to be competitive, but because you genuinely enjoy it. I think those are lifelong habits that you create in someone. Uh, Lindsay, we had a, a, Bryce and I had a conversation uh, just uh, this past weekend um, that we recorded and we just went on a tangent on it, yeah. on money and sports specifically uh, as it pertains to the uh, super league. 
that involved uh, European football clubs or soccer clubs. And uh, though I, I completely agree with you and I will echo everything you said, I think there is a huge response, corporate responsibility of, of, uh, of investing in women's sports. Uh, and, and I would go as far as to say girls sports. So to take it further in what you've emphasized, um, starting at the grassroots, I agree with you. Ensuring that uh, girls hockey is funded just the same way as boys mm. hockey. Uh, uh, girls basketball is funded the same way um, as uh, boys basketball. And just, to, just for the record, uh, our women's uh, Canadian national team has been much more successful for a longer period of time than our men's right Uh, and the same with our uh, our soccer national team so uh, and I'm talking corporate sponsors I'm talking about um, local sponsors Um, I'm I'm talking about promoting the game if you go across the border and you look at some of the way our uh, or even just girl sports at high school level get community support it's on a different level and mm. and and you go to different parts of the world it's the same way i would say europe for example right so um i agree with you i think it's you know i think both bryce and i have a responsibility but i think uh individuals in the corporate um levels uh obviously i'm in a public sector so in the public sector there are financial mechanisms where we can invest and incentivize companies who uh, promote gender equality, right? Absolutely. And so, uh, so I think that I think we're getting there. I think there's still ways in which we got to go, um, but um, um, but I think we're on a we're on a precipice of some exciting things because I think a lot of uh, a lot of women in sports have been um, have been having been given a platform to to address it. So uh, thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, I think growing up, um, we, these conversations were left, but now they're, mm. they're being shooken up with a whole new, different generation. So. And there's this wonderful quote. I won't butcher it for everyone listening. Usually <laughs> it talks about how we stand on the shoulder of giants to see further. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so many people who came before me who, you know, I repeat myself from earlier who paved my way and I've had young girls come up to me and fathers and mothers of young girls come up to me and say, you know, my daughter sees you in that role. And now she talks about getting more involved in sport or she's talking about perhaps a role within sports at large. And, you know, we even talk about the differences in male and female sports right now. And while I also agree with both of you that there are pressing issues right now that need to be handled as well, I think a lot of that change does happen with each generation. And if we have more females growing up who want to be involved in sports, Mm. well, look 10, 20 years down the road, those are the females who are going to be the coaches and who are going to be the general managers and who are going to be the people in those boardrooms having those conversations and making the change for the next generation. And I think, again, I go back to if you can see it, you can be it yourself. And uh, for me, my faith is a large part of who I am. And I think God has given me a lot of opportunities in life that I hope to make the most of. And I try every day to set a good example for other people. If I can encourage anyone else and 
in the good that sport can bring and provide and build strong communities, then that to me is where I get a lot of satisfaction from. There was this uh, sweet moment in the all women's broadcast of the Raptors game where Kate Burness looked straight into the camera and said, if you're a little girl watching this, I hope that you know that you could be in the position we were uh, tonight. And because my daughter watched the whole broadcast, she saw and heard Kate uh, give this this address, this invitation. And Evelyn said, that's me. I'm one of the kids that she's talking to. It was really special. Um, now, what I'm about to say is the only my opinion. This is not the opinion of Jurassic Views. But should 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 uh, the Toronto Raptors MLSE get a WNBA franchise, which uh, we are lobbying for already? Uh, I hope that there there is a, a really good conversation about pay equity, and I hope that a guy like uh, a Fred Van Vliet or an OG Ananobi, um, they're willing to give up a little money if that's what it takes. Um, because I think that, as Zaya said, the, the ownership does have a corporate responsibility. And I think, you know, if, if that comes down to the players as well, I think they should be thinking about it uh, too. I'm not saying the onus is on just one or two individuals, but they got a lot of power. Um, if anyone wants to take a, a stab at that one, that's fine. Otherwise, we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> with great power, with that's great that. responsibility, right? <laughs> that's right. That's I, right. I, I, I won't I won't mention um, the obvious in terms of the uh, conglomerates who uh, have shares in the ownership, but uh, I, I know their books uh, working from Ottawa and they're doing quite well. So I think they can <laughs> I think I, I think they can set the precedent. And to be quite honest, that, that's all you need, right? You, you need franchises to set the precedent. And um, and I'm hoping that we do get a franchise in Toronto and MLSE goes into that direction and continues to be that quote unquote progressive uh, organization that they, they deem to be uh, throughout the sporting landscape and sets that precedent. But um, Bryce, you wanted to at least um, talk about this golden era that we find ourselves in in Canadian basketball. You want to take a snap, uh, stab at it? Yeah, so I mean, there's no doubt when you look at both the WNBA, this past uh, women's NCAA tournament, uh, you look at uh, the WNBA, even the Raptors, um, there are so many uh, talented at the highest level Canadian athletes who are, you know, not just uh, putting on a jersey, but they are shining bright. We saw the other night, the Raptors played Oklahoma City, and the two best players in that game were Chris Boucher and Lou Dort of the Thunder. Uh, Lindsay, what's it like for you as a Canadian broadcaster to see Canadian basketball players at this level within the world stage of basketball? It's awesome. It is so great, and I think both of you can speak to the fact that it's the Steve Nash's of the world, the Vince Carter's, the Toronto Raptors, who really, in many ways, put Canada on the map. And we talk about what happens generationally and what happens when you make these waves. Well, they created 
or they were very much responsible for this very deep talent pool that Canada now has. And I think communities have driven the game. I think systematically there's definitely something happening because you get kids involved in the sport. And then what happens 10, 20 years down the road? Well, you have this sea of Canadian talent, even March Madness this past year, I believe we had 25 Canadians suiting up in the NCAA tournament. Uh, on the woman's side, Letitia Meher with South Carolina. She's from Mississauga. Aliyah Edwards at UConn. We talked yep. Gonzaga's Andrew Nemhard. So, again, just seeing the Canadian talent we now have. And when you have Canadians in the game and they play well, guess what it does? It gets other kids involved in the sport and they want to play and they want to be like so-and-so. Definitely. Saga representing uh, pretty yes. strong. <laughs> Uh, do you do you have a, a a player from 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 Canada who's playing whether in the WNBA or or NBA that you you love watching that's kind of a favorite for you? Ooh, you're putting me on the spot. Just one? Yeah. I don't know. I, mean, I will say it was it was really no cool. pressure to say Kia. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Me and me and Kia have the the TSN route. I'll put a. a strong word behind Kia's name and even the nurse family I mean you talk about athletics families what uh, Darnell's able to do and then Sarah and then the parents play so there's some good genes right there but I I did a bit of research myself and I realized that you uh, interviewed Justin Bieber who also plays a little ball himself wow um, yes I'm, cur- I'm, I'm curious who, you know who have you interviewed and you came across like, oh, wow, that was a solid interview that I will always remember. Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I, I genuinely think no matter who you talk to, it tends to really be a great conversation because I think humans are so fascinating at the core. So if someone's open and receptive and, and willing to chat with you, um, you usually walk away having learned something new um the Justin Bieber interview I really I really did enjoy just because I think he's a fascinating human and you know I always talk prior to working in sports I worked in entertainment and people ask if they are two polar opposites or if there's similarities and I I truly Mm. do see so many similarities between sport and just the entertainment world and in general because you look at whether it's athletes or artists for the most part, this is something they had had their mindset on since they could walk and talk. And these are people who are insanely driven and goal oriented. And it's, it's why you understand sometimes that Austin Matthews is good friends with Justin Bieber. And, and you see these, oh, these mutual effect and admiration and understanding that even though the craft and what they do might be polar opposites, they understand what that person is trying to improve themselves and get better and be creative, whether it's trying something new on the court or something new in the studio. Um, so I don't know. That's a tough one when it comes to favorite interviews. You know, I mentioned Brooke Henderson earlier. She's someone who um, her faith is very strong to her. And I think yep. the way she leads by example. Um, and I think just as a Canadian, it's, uh, a really chance to interview her so that was a special one for sure but it's hard to choose there's been a lot of good ones 
sounding like uh, uh, an ambassador of a country. Just the diplomacy in these answers is unbelievable. <laughs> now, now, Lindsay, we're gonna we're gonna put you further on the spot. There's a question, a, a continuous or ongoing question that I ask Zaya specifically in the month of April. Oh, I think um, I know where this is going. And I, Zaya ha has answered this emphatically. Uh, he's been willing to put uh, his own Bitcoin down on, wow. on this. Yeah, 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 yeah. You put in the Bitcoin, uh, you know it's serious. That's right. That's right. That currency is going up quick. Uh, <laughs> so the question is, do you believe that the Toronto Raptors will make the play-in? That's the question. I do not want to be the Debbie Downer on this call. Uh, <laughs> I like to think of myself as a glass half full optimistic type of person. I, I will say this. I think the Raptors have been a confusion this year, um, sometimes mm. in the most wonderful way and sometimes a little frustrating. Um, because remember, this is a team that won a single game in March. One. And then in April, you know, they just recently won four in a row. Then they fell to the Knicks. Uh, I believe right now they're, what, two games back of Washington for 10th, I think? Yeah, yeah. For last check. Um, yeah, that's right. Yep. Got the Cavs tonight. And then a handful of games left. I think there's only 12 games left in this schedule. So yep. it's looking like a small miracle. <laughs> I'm going to say that. <laughs> Um, but you know, the fact that we're even having this conversation right now, huge. and I mean, you know, even the fact that they kept Kyle Lowry, I think that had a number of benefits. I think we've all learned too, just how much of a mentor Kyle Lowry and their mm. players on the team. I think some players got a really needed break. Uh, the bench got a chance to grow a little bit. Um, so again, I think, is it a bit of a long shot? Does it feel that way? In many ways, yes. Like that game against the Knicks was pretty big, but um, the fact again that we're having this conversation and that they have themselves in the running still pretty formidable. Definitely. Well, you know, don't worry about about being the the downer or the 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 party pooper. You've got uh, you've got company. I have not put my <laughs> Bitcoin down just yet and yeah, i'm usually the i'm Shame. i'm usually the one who's Shame. who's all in at the beginning of the season uh so i i've been uh i've been i've been disappointed but when i when i take a big picture view of things which i try to do when my teams aren't doing well specifically arsenal in the last 5 years i try to look at the big picture right and we've we've been in tampa bay and when we have had fans, a lot of times they're the opponent's fans, like it's an Ottawa Senators game. And it is, it is tough to listen to. It's tough to watch. It's tough to see them so disconnected from us. I just want to be connected with these guys. I, I think the fan base is just hungry for that. We miss them. Uh, we just want to be in the same place, breathe the same air, uh, hear the, the squeaks on the court, hear the ball bounce, the players go back and forth, Herbie Kuhn announcing. I mean, can we get a reunion? That's what we really need. We need a reunion. And believe me when I say the fashion, the art, the cars that we're going to see, um, 
OG, I see you. Gary Trent Jr., I see you. It's going to be a roaring 20s in Toronto. And with the Raptors back, um, oh, just such good feelings, such good vibes. Well, we're going to wrap it up there. Lindsay, it's been an absolute delight to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time, uh, your insights, um, and who you are. We're cheering for you every time we see you on TSN, along with your uh, fellow broadcasters who are or women. Uh, we think you all are the cream of the crop at TSN. Um, so just please know that whether it's basketball or soccer, the sports we're watching the most, or when we get to the Olympics, should that happen this summer, uh, we're cheering you all on. And my daughter really looks up to you. You're a role model to her. Should the Raptors get into the play-in and maybe even further to the playoffs, Zaya, Lindsay, uh, drinks on me when we see each other next. Hopefully we've been vaccinated at that point. Uh, but certainly uh, a frantic uh, run to the finish uh, as we go toward the playoffs. Lindsay, I know your life is going to get a whole lot more hectic as well with the NHL playoffs uh, even sooner, just a couple weeks away. Uh, so good luck and uh, pace yourself uh, with that hectic pace. Uh, but once again, great to have you on. Uh, maybe look forward to another episode with you in the off season of hockey and uh, basketball to talk more about the Olympics and uh, the state of Canadian basketball. Until then... And until then, those who are listening, uh, peace.